This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Next Question. I'm Katie Couric. I can already tell that this moment in my life I'll look back on and say, what the hell was I thinking? Greta Gerwig is a modern version of a Hollywood triple threat. With films like Frances Ha and 20th Century Women, she's proved to be a formidable actress, But since she's turned her focus to behind the camera, she's become one of the most successful writer-directors in the business. Her last film, Lady Bird, was heralded by critics and audiences alike, including me. Greta once again is exploring the complexities of female relationships and ambition with her new adaptation of Little Women, based on the Louisa May Alcott classic that so many of us remember from our childhoods. Little Women is a love letter to all of us who break the shackles of convention and write our own stories. So my next question is, what is Greta Gerwig's story? And can Hollywood handle it? You realized you were a great storyteller because of a very funny incident in seventh grade. Oh, God, yes. Uh, Wow, you really... We really did our research, research. Greta. I, I know. Oh, my God, yes. Yes. Well, I had an incident in seventh grade. It was a new school uh, in California. It, you know, junior high is its own seventh and eighth grade. They're like, let's take you at your most awkward two years, put you in a group that's much bigger and scarier, and then just see how you do. Which I don't know why they do that. That's very so, Darwinian, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I, I have this visual memory of walking in and knowing my classmates from elementary school and I felt like everyone was just like spend for yourself I'll see you in high school like it was it was definitely Lord of the Flies but um 
I was taking a math test, a placement test, and I didn't know, was I allowed to get up? Was I allowed to say I had to go to the bathroom? And so I I didn't. And I was, anyway, anyway, I ended up peeing my pants <laughs> during the math test. Aww. But actually, the, the true thing that happened, which I was, the girl next to me saw it happen, and she took off her sweatshirt and gave it to me, and she was like, put this around your waist and go run to the nurse's office. Like, she took care of me, and I she love didn't that even girl. know me. I know. But isn't it interesting, that act of kindness put yeah. an entirely new lens on what might have been a soul-crushing experience for you, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't my favorite experience. <laughs> no, but it was, I'm not saying it was a it bed was, of roses. No, but it was... Um, that's the thing I remember in a, in 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 so many ways is that someone just being kind and honestly, kids who are thirteen and fourteen, they're not necessarily kind and looking out for each other. And I thought that that was a, a moment that um, defined, in some ways, my worldview of people. Kind of, you can you can be peeing your pants in a math test, and someone will help you. Someone will give you <laughs> their sweatshirt. Will, someone will be like, "I got you." Um, and, and in it, fact, you wrote a piece about yes. it. You wrote a paper about it a year later, right? Well, actually, the next year, in eighth grade, I wrote this like um, kind of essay, like this humor essay. It was like a sort of piece of creative writing. And um, and the teacher liked it, so she put it up on the bulletin board. Um, <laughs> and then everyone read it. And then they, anyone who didn't know that this had happened was all of a sudden like, I thought that was just a rumor that you really did that. And I was like, no. I was, but I had a sense that it was funny anyway. I knew it was funny. I knew it was it was like a humiliation that was actually quite funny. But you were pretty brave to put yourself out there because a lot of people would never want to think about that incident again. And yet you write a paper. So the people, as you said, who didn't know all re- now suddenly they all knew. knew. I know. They all knew. No, I, I think... Um, I think that's the way I've found to deal with most things is to make it into art somehow, whether it's, you know, in the eighth grade writing a little humor essay or now. I think I am always turning the thing that happens into um, into story, into into a movie, into a character, um, because it's uh, it's my coping mechanism. <laughs> but also into an almost universal experience, right? You yes. you almost want to, I wouldn't say necessarily normalize something like that, but you want to expose it yeah, because it shows everyone how vulnerable we all are. I mean, we all could have been that seventh grader who yeah. peed during the math test, right? It is, yes. And I think it is that kind of, um, I think it's funny because sometimes you can feel like, am I screaming into a void? Does anyone hear this? And the truth is, yeah, everyone knows. Everyone knows. And I think that that's um, when I go to the movies, when I go to theater, when I read a book, it's amazing to me still that art is the thing that can reach out and uh, and touch you. But in this way that you, you say, or I always say to myself, I'm like, oh, my God, somebody knows. They know. Like, like some part of yourself you thought was wrong or weird or just embarrassing or anything and then you see it reflected back at you and you thought oh it's there it's there in the world and someone else knows about this and you recognize yourself in the story and that's very much the case i think greta 
when it comes to Lady Bird mm-hmm. in some ways. You yeah. grew up in Sacramento, yes. not unlike Lady Bird. Were you a big movie person growing up? Do you remember <laughs> seeing movies and thinking, oh, my gosh, one day? <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, for me, it was theater. It wasn't movies. I didn't really. Movies seemed not they weren't my medium. I didn't I didn't really understand how they were made. Um they felt like they were handed down from gods. They didn't seem like they had been made by people. So, um I loved theater because it, you could see the people who made it right in front of you and you know, you could read a play, you know, I my favorite playwright when I was in high school was Tom Stoppard and I love Tom Stoppard plays and I could get one of my friends together and we could memorize it all and put it on. Wow. Like which we did, which was extremely weird <laughs> because no one was asking for it and we were doing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but the all female version that was an unsanctioned <laughs> like class product like nobody said why don't you go do this. Um but it felt like theater was something I could just make. I didn't need that much to make it. Um, and film, I didn't, we, I, we didn't watch TV. I didn't go to the movies that much. Um, and it was not something I, I really related to until college. And then I went to college in New York. And because I went to college here, I started going to film forum downtown, which had a great repertory program of older movies and new art house movies, um, uh, the Museum of Moving Image, um, Anthology Film Archives, the RIP Lincoln, Lincoln Center Theater, oh, the best, um, was which was new art house movies. And and I, I slowly started becoming a cinephile, but it was late relatively. It was, you know, when I was 18 or 19, it wasn't, it wasn't when I was a kid. And this is when you were at Barnard. Yes. Majoring in philosophy and English. Yes, that's And it right. sounds like movies. Well, yeah, <laughs> movies on the side. Yeah. Definitely. I know I took film studies classes there, but um, they didn't have a film, pra- because it was, it's not a BFA, so it wasn't a film practice. It was like, it was a film theory, film, um, film history. Um, yeah. I know you were... You wanted to get your MFA yes. at Yale. Oh, yeah. And, no, they didn't rejected. Let me in. They didn't let me in. <laughs> okay. Can I just say I can relate to that? Okay. I wanted to go to Smith College where my two older sisters went, oh. Phi Beta Kappa, the whole nine wow. yards. Smith loves sisters. Not even waitlisted, Greta. You didn't even get waitlisted? Really? Not even waitlisted. Well, I got one of those so thin <laughs> envelopes back in the day. Oh, no. It was terrible. I mean, they must have really not wanted you. Well, now when I run into the president of Smith, you know what I say? Big mistake. Yeah, just like Julia Robertson. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Big mistake. Big. Big. Huge. Huge. Um, No, that makes me so happy that you didn't get into Smith. Also, because your sisters went there, that makes it so much worse. I know. You must have felt like there's really something wrong with me. Oh, yes. I mean, that's a whole other podcast, sister. But that's such a wonderful thing to know, I I think I think claiming moments of disappointment and it not working out it's so important because I think you know I think it's easy to to look and say well that she always knew she always had all the things right. and everybody thought she was great and smart and she just sailed her way through life and you're like no and let's face it it's a series of disappointments <laughs> yeah I mean even when things are going well it's a it's a give and a take was it crushing for you when you didn't get into Yale or were you just like eh, uh, they don't deserve me it was all three I was Yale Juilliard and NYU for playwriting and I got rejected from all three Ouch. um so 
I mean, certainly I think the, the thought crosses your mind, perhaps I should not do this anymore. Like, the world seems to be telling me I'm not very good at this. But I, I just, I just, I couldn't, I loved it too much. I thought, you know, um, even if, even if I'm terrible at this, I want to do it because I love it so much. And you started doing it after Bernard. Yeah. I know you got into the indie world mm-hmm. of filmmaking, something called Mumblecore. Yes. One of your earliest films that falls into that category, I think, is Hannah Takes the Stairs, which also starred Mark Duplass. You know, I didn't tell you this today yet, but you look really beautiful in that mask. <laughs> you, know, you really just, you look so gorgeous. You're so and nice I just. Today. Thank you. Mm. You look beautiful in your mask, Thanks, too. Man. I didn't really know much about mumblecore until I was preparing for this interview. It is a term that has been used to describe the set of films, but it was never a thing where we said, we're making mumblecore movies and here's what they are. It's that there were just all these different filmmakers at this particular moment, kind of between 2005 and 2008-ish, where... They started making movies for not a lot of money with not professional actors where it was about a feeling of people behaving more how people behave, less like, you know, waking up with, um, you know, perfectly lit makeup and all this stuff. It, It was this feeling of like, this is not how people live. Like, uh, about films. Right. It was like, that's not, I don't recognize people here. It was also um, heavily relied on, not all of them, because there's a k- kind of a catch-all phrase, but there was a lot of improvisation that went on, which was very useful. Um, and, and, and the sort of all-hands-on-deck quality was very useful because I learned how to make movies by making movies. And there was no... Boom operator, I held the boom. There right. was no editor. We all sat around and edited it at night. It was this very um, collaborative process. And I think I learned quickly how movies work, what is interesting on camera. And it and we weren't making them as calling cards to another movie. That was the movie. We were taking it seriously. And um, it ended up being like my graduate school. Was there anyone in particular you felt like you really learned from? There's a filmmaker who I still love his work, um, Andrew Buljowski, who uh, I think last year he made this wonderful film, Support the Girls, um, which if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's great. And um, he, even though it seemed like his dialogue was improvised, it wasn't. It was very tightly scripted and very precise. And I really loved the way he shot films and thought about films. And um, I looked up to him a great deal. And um, he's continued to make great movies. But it it was that kind of um, very precise cinematic writing that sounds like conversation, which is then became the thing I was chasing So I moved away entirely from improvisation because I started trying to get that um, sense of the the language mattering, um, which was really in line with what I was interested in as a playwright. Which is about writing, but also I imagine about cadence, you know, the way people talk over each other, the way they interrupt, the way that natural conversation occurs. It is very um, appealing to me, a natural sounding conversation that's been sculpted it's it's my 
preference. Yeah. Um, it's my favorite. It, it's my favorite when it it seems like it's not written and people say, oh, it's, was it improvised? And I said, no, of course not. <laughs> it's every word. I like it said exactly how I wrote it. <laughs> so you moved Greta from acting yes. initially yes. to to writing and directing. Yes. I'm curious why why you decided you wanted to be more behind the scenes. I wanted to get my hands on it however I could in terms of uh, theater and film. And um, I loved acting because that was the way I could interact with it. But uh, And I didn't really realize I could write. It was a professor who said, because I kept writing monologues and stuff for other people, and they were like, do you want to take a playwriting class? And I was like, no, no, no. Other people do that. And they're like, you keep doing it, so maybe you like to do this. And um, This was in college? Yeah, that was in college. Um, but I had written, I had been writing the whole time uh, when I was in high school, whenever there was um like uh, an assembly and they needed a sketch. I would uh-huh. always write the sketches. I'd always, but I never thought of myself as a writer because to be totally honest, I thought it was, I thought someone who was much smarter than me and probably a man would be, <laughs> would be doing the writing. I thought it was, I didn't know any female playwrights. I didn't know any female writer directors. I just didn't. And and then I, ed- I got educated about them, but um, it was something that, had not occurred to me on some deep level, even though I was doing it. And I had to be very literally told, this is an option for you. Um, And then I started doing, I mean, I was writing, I was producing, I was directing, but I was also, um, I was a stage manager. I worked in lights and sound. I, I did a lot of different things because I wanted to be part of the world so much, and I figured if I could do lots of things, they'd have to let me in somewhere. <laughs> that mean, was really smart of you. So you know, <laughs> honestly, because you became an apprentice in all these different, um, you know, disciplines. Yeah. And and then of course you learned how to be the conductor because you understood what everybody did and probably honestly respected it too. I mean, I that's definitely how I. I hope I took all that experience because filmmaking is the most collaborative art form. So getting to operate in all the different areas of constructing a movie is 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 incredibly useful and I'm I'm dead in the water without the people around me and and every single person who's working on a film is to me they are the filmmaker for the thing that they're doing. I you, you tell the story in so many ways and I I need every single person on set to 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 tell it with me. Otherwise, I what am I doing? Of course, Lady Bird was your big big breakthrough, and yes. it was so much about relationships. Why didn't you just say pick up your feet? I didn't know if you were tired. You were being passive aggressive. No, I wasn't. You are so infuriated. Please stop yelling. I'm not yelling. Oh, it's Honey. perfect. What was it. it about that film that made it resonate so much? Everyone. Everyone has a family. Everybody understands. Everybody comes from somewhere. Everybody knows what it is to love and what it is to lose. Everyone. There's no prerequisites for understanding a story. And I think that with Lady Bird, it, it's that thing of you, you don't come from a generalized place. You come from a specific place. And my specific place that I could speak to was Sacramento. But I think that that connects. I think, you know, the more specific you get, the more universal it can be because it connects back to everyone. 
And then you think of the specific house you grew up in and what your specific relationship with all those people were. And and I think um, I had lots of men tell me, they were like, I know it's about a teenage girl, but I am, I feel like I'm Lady Bird. <laughs> I was like, that's fine. You're a 60 year old man. And I totally support you in that. I think that that's right. You're a Lady Bird. <laughs> I loved her relationship with her mom. Of course, yeah. I worship uh, uh, Lori Metcalf. Yes. And I mean, she was just so phenomenal yes. in it. Um, yeah. And and I think, again, that sort of goes back to your mumblecore yeah. days. Don't you think you were heavily influenced by the reality of their relationship. People are like, yeah, I remember going through clothes with my mom. Yeah. I mean, taking these very typical scenes. Right. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, I did that with my mom. Oh, right. yeah, my mom drove me crazy about this. I remember saying this at the time, that if you stop any woman on the street and ask, how's your relationship with your mom? It's never going to be a one-word answer. It's never going to be like, good. <laughs> like, that's just not, people don't, that's not true. And I felt like the whole time when we were making it, I kept saying, I can't believe no one's made this yet. Like, this is, seems like so, why wouldn't you make this movie? It's Speaking like, of that, right how, sitting there. how did your parents feel about that movie? They, and how is your relationship with your mom? Do, how long do you have? No, I'm kidding. Um, no, <laughs> they she, sound super normal, by the way. They're wonderful, yes. And they're, you know, it sounds yeah. like they're... they're um, that you might be sort of the quirky one in the group. Am I right? Yes, I am. I mean, what I will say, and this is not... They're really good people they're good people and and they're good in in a in a sense that i think um i you know i think in some ways actually with with um little women i felt like i was able to tap into that as well it felt very personal to me in that way but they're um they have a sense of um civic responsibility moral responsibility responsibility to their city and their family and their community and it's a very like it 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 reminds me when I go back home that you can be a good citizen and a good person and you can take care of each other. And I think that, um, uh, you know, every, and also everyone who meets my mom is like, your mom is wonderful. <laughs> like, I know. I know. Um, Aren't but, you lucky? Yeah. Yes, I am very lucky. Coming up, Greta talks about her latest movie, Little Women and how she made the Louisa May Alcott classic her own. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. 
Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Let's talk about little women. Sure. You, you've assembled a dream team mm. in this latest movie. You have Saoirse Ronan, mm. who I've got such a girl crush on. Oh, God, I know. Emma Watson, Laura Dern, also a girl crush on. Yeah. Meryl Streep, Eliza Scanlon, and Florence Pugh, who newer, I think... Newer, yeah. Newer, newer yeah. Uh, young, obviously incredibly talented actors. Mm-hmm. Um, before we talk about the film, let's talk about the book. Sure. Was were you a big fan of the book growing up? Yes, I was. The, that book was um, was one of my favorite books. I, I read it over and over and over. I mean, I was a rereader as a child. Uh, I think maybe it's something children do that, that adults stop doing of watching the same movies or reading the same books over and over again. It, like it becomes part of you somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also sort of comforting, don't you think? It's very comforting. And it's that ritualistic... Uh, revisiting of characters. It's another reason why, like, the structures of... Uh, I'm a huge Law & Order fan, but, like, I dum, dum. I know it's my favorite. But there's a deep relaxation in me that occurs because I know the beats of the the show, and I think that's one of the reasons why people love it is because, okay, well, it's only minute 20, so that's not the guy. We're going to wait to get him till minute 45, <laughs> I'm not, you know, you just know. Um, I'm going to have to do a little matchmaking between you and Mariska Hargitay. I love her. I mean, I love her. Do you know her? Have you no, met her? I've never met her. Uh, I love I've her. Got, okay. I almost don't want to meet her because I love her so much. No, you're going to love She's her in person. She's the most comforting. You know, like in meditation when they say, like, go think of a beach or something that makes you feel safe. I always think of Mariska Hargitay's face because I feel like she's so compassionate and it really just comes through on the screen. I feel like she's so wonderful and I don't know anything about her really in her life, but I think that the person she is shines through. Like she makes you feel so unjudged. <laughs> I'm going to send I'm going to send that to her and get her reaction. What a nice compliment. I love I mean she's amazing. That's so funny. <laughs> she's wonderful. Meanwhile, this is the 6th Yeah. film adaptation yeah. of Little Women. So I think it's the 7th. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to have to and, fire and my also, researcher. No, and two two anime shows, not oh my one God. but two. An anime Little yeah. Women? Yeah, and a musical and an opera. Oh my God. All right, did you watch all the movies, Greta? No, you know what I did was I have I have seen all the movies at different points. I didn't look at any of the the movies I because I wanted because with Little Women, obviously the book's been around for 150 years, but I feel that the iconography of Little Women, the kind of collective memory of what it is, is the, it's the ur text. It's the text writ large. And I think as a filmmaker, what I wanted to do was to take that collective memory that that we have of what Little Women is, whether it's, you know, Marmee and the girls sitting around by the fire or Amy burning the book or the dance. You know, there's all these things that we have in our minds of what Little Women is that I felt like I could take that and kind of create something that was, to be honest, like a cu- uh, cubist 
piece about it because I wanted to look at it from another side, which is I started the movie when they're adults and then they go back to childhood as a kind of a yearning and uh, and uh, this snow globe halcyon days of something that's gone and they can't recapture. I want to be an artist in Rome and be the best painter in the world. That's what you want too, isn't it, Joe, to be a famous writer? Yes, but it sounds so crass when she says it. My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Well, so do I. You know, you, in fact, do, I think, do such an interesting spin mm. on, on Little Women. Um, and I think you intertwine Louisa May, May Alcott's journal entries and yes. letters. Yes. So it's almost a, a mashup yes. between her life story and the story that she wrote in the book. So yes. tell us a little bit about that process. And also, Greta, how you sort of did it in a very different way in terms of the time frame. Yeah. Well, uh, Louisa May Alcott was, as I researched her, because I didn't really know anything about her when I was growing up. I loved Joe March, but I, I didn't know who Louisa May Alcott was. And when I was researching Louisa, I found that she she is the heroine behind the heroine like right. she is the woman that i had unconsciously been drawn to and um of the many extraordinary things about her was that you know she never got married she never had children and she kept the copyright of her book which i thought that's incredible that a woman in the 19th century knew to keep the copyright to her book. And I was like, well, I have to put this in the movie. And then I so I started to I started to weave who Louisa May Alcott was into who Joe is. And I start in her, you know, to mid 20s, her adulthood. And I did that with time because I wanted to introduce this idea of fiction and writing and authorship so that the past isn't just the past, it's also fiction. It's also the thing that you wrote out of your life. And um, I think as a writer myself, that distance between what happened versus what did you write is something that's inherently emotional to me. And I put all kinds of details about who Louisa was in the movie, things like she was ambidextrous. She taught herself how to write with her left hand because... I noticed that. Yeah. Her hand would cramp. Her hand would cramp and then, and then she she'd would, write I know. With her I noticed hand. that in the film because you didn't actually talk about it. Nope. I just, I just noticed it. it. I, thought yeah. it was, I thought it was cinematic and kind of beautiful to have her write with both hands. And that, that, was, that was Louisa because the Alcott family, unlike the March family, the March family are like the genteel poor. They were like the Bennets or something from Pride and Prejudice. The Alcotts were wretchedly poor. They moved something like 30 times in four years because they could never pay the rent. And Louisa and her sisters went out to work when they were teenagers. And she worked, she sewed. And so she would sew all day. And then she would come home and she'd write her stories at night, which she'd been composing in her head to sell for not a lot of money because it was for penny dreadful papers. And she would write with her right hand and then it would cramp and bleed. And she taught herself how to write with her left hand so she could keep writing. And that kind of physical act of what it means to write and to produce something, um, it just felt heroic to me, that, uh, that, that determination to keep, to keep putting it on paper. And there were other ways that you intertwined the yes. two stories, yes. right? And, you know, was it, is it commonly believed that Louisa 
that Joe was Louisa, Louisa was Joe? Yes, that's the feeling. Also, Louisa and Joe both have three sisters. Um, they both have, uh, I mean, I I mean, I feel like everyone knows this, but they both have loss in their life of a one, you know, specific uh, person. And um, but so it's easy to look at it and say, oh, I see. That's uh, that's that's Louisa. But yeah, the differences are um, emotional and striking. And that's why I started the film with a quote. Um, I've had lots of troubles, so I write jolly tales. And I thought, oh, that just kills me. You know, so much of her story, Greta, is about dealing with men in charge, men mm-hmm. controlling her art. Mm-hmm. And um, I shouldn't have been surprised, but against the backdrop of mm-hmm. the modern woman, it is still it was still jarring for me to watch women with so much spirit and mm-hmm. so little agency. Yes. I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. Well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. Was that something that you also as a modern American woman in a position of power now? Yes. That you grappled with a bit, sort of how how limited their options were. Where I am, where we are, what's possible now is is possible because of all these generations of women who have worked so hard to get to where we are. And I think, to me, I felt I feel this deep sense of you could draw a straight line from Louisa May Alcott to me, and what I'm able to do is is indebted to what she did because she wrote about the lives of girls and women. And that people read it and loved it, and it, perpe- it, it it stayed in print over 150 years. It it was translated into 52 languages. It became important because there was an audience for it, which nobody recognized, which was girls and women. And now, what I think, and I have them have this discussion in the film, is um, I would love those to not be uh, works that have asterisks next to them. I, I would love them not to be, you know, women's literature, or women's stories, or women's or chick fiction. Flicks. Or chick flicks. I, I don't think that they should be, and I don't think that they are. I think that they're um, human stories. And something Meryl Streep said to me, she said, we have lots of practice as women imagining ourselves in male narratives. We've done it our whole lives because we're always reading books and going to the films and looking at men and projecting ourselves into their stories. And I actually think that they have huge capacities to do the same. Men have a capacity to go to films or read novels and to feel themselves within a female character. Well, like that man said, I'm Lady Bird, right? I'm Lady Bird, that's right. And I think that there's a fear that maybe I don't know I don't know where it comes from, but maybe there's a fear that it diminishes their masculinity somehow. But I only think it makes the expression of who you are deeper if you can see yourself as 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 multiple, as many, as not just um, in your narrow category. And so I think for me, it's there's many possibilities now, but still it feels like. We say they're niche. And also because I'm, you know, movies are, uh, 
you you make them and you hope people will go see them um and they're they're you need a lot of people you need money they're expensive so you do have these discussions about and who's the audience and um you know it's a very classic thing in hollywood they'll say girls will go to boys movies and boys will not go to girls movies do you think that's changing greta i think it is changing and i think it's changing so quickly that we haven't registered the change yet and um but i think it's it's transforming right now <laughs> it's called empathy after all right it's, it that's i always say that movies are empathy machines that's what they do and so you, that that is that is the thing and i found myself in the movie theater many times feeling like i i've lived through something that i haven't because of the way the movie makes me feel and and places and people and experiences that just connect back to to who you are. I do think you imbue a lot of modern uh, sensibilities into this movie. For example, I think the exploration of Joe's character mm. is much broader and more profound given how we're reevaluating not only gender roles, but mm. gender identity, sexual yeah. orientation. Sure. And it seems to me that Perhaps Louisa May Alcott today, <laughs> yeah. if she were here today, might might not be a straight woman. Yeah, well, there's actually really interesting um, write, writing uh, that she did. I mean, well, to start with Joe, she says, I mean, she really does say the whole book. She, she wants to be a boy. She okay. says the whole time. And it's hard to look at that with a 21st century lens because the truth is Joe wanting to be a boy... It can be interpreted in lots of ways. One way is just, well, why wouldn't she want to be a boy? They were... They got they, to do everything. They had options. <laughs> yeah. She had none. And so you don't always want to ascribe some category that she didn't have. But I do definitely think that there there was something going on. I mean, Louisa has um, a letter she wrote, this... Um, she wrote, I, I, sometimes I believe I'm a man in a woman's body, for I've fallen in, lo in love with a dozen pretty girls, and I've never once felt that way for a man. You think, oh my God, we might have something for you. <laughs> uh, but, I, but it's, you know, it's also difficult. Um, I didn't want to become didactic, and I didn't want to give her something. Uh, I didn't want to give it. I did again. I didn't want to assign her something or, or label her as something, but I did want to allow the mess of just the raw feeling to come through. Talk about raw feelings. You also gave her permission to be angry. When I get in a passion, I get so savage. I could hurt anyone, and I'd enjoy it. You remind me of myself. You're never angry. I'm angry nearly every day of my life. One of the lines that stood out to me, and I thought, Is this, has this always been in the book? Was um, Mar Marmy saying to Joe, I'm, I'm angry almost every single day of my life. Which I thought, that's not what I think of when I think of Marmy. Right. But it's, it's right there. And I think, you know, it's actually talking about it i i i i get uncomfortable talking about anger um or talking about you know feeling upset about things because because i i still i grew up in this culture i know you don't want to be the angry the angry girl um 
So, you know, I think I have been given a lot more permission to be so by by people who are writing and thinking and doing. And I think um, for me, one of the, the beautiful things about um, writing fiction and um, and and having characters say things is sometimes I can allow my characters to go farther than I feel comfortable going because I can I can give them all of my thoughts and feelings and um, and let them let them let it rip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you angry right now? Oh, oh. Are you are you what's your sort of dominant emotion mm. emotional state right now my or, dominant emotional well actually my dominant emotional state right now is 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 um some sort of like frantic euphoria of uh, because i have a baby and also the movie it's so like, you're so, not getting any sleep so it's yeah so so it's kind of like you know a tiny baby head where you're like ah babies and then you're running around <laughs> and, and doing all this stuff so they're I, so pure I, and everything I mean, else is so dirty well it's not so dirty but babies babies are a wonderful thing um which is which is nice but yes i feel i feel like um I can already tell that this this moment in my life I'll look back on and say what the hell was I thinking <laughs> or how did how did any of that come to that I feel like everything in my life is half done and I'm always eating something as I'm running to another thing so um I don't know I don't know euphoric tiredness <laughs> When we come back are women finally getting the recognition they deserve or not And in the wake of Me Too and Time's Up, has Hollywood really changed? The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters— I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You talked about you hope that boys will want to see yes, movies about yeah. girls, but what about the 
the structure, the systematic uh, sort of misogyny <laughs> that seems to be pervasive in almost every area of American culture, but particularly Hollywood. Do you mm. feel like that is starting to change? You know, when Frances mm. McDormand talked about inclusion writers and right. there has been this reckoning with Me Too and Time's Up. But but do you I mean, you're on the inside, Greta, <laughs> yeah. you know, is there yeah. reason to hope or yes. Yes, there's uh, yes. It was first of all, this year was the Annenberg study that they do every year came out. And, and it's it's this year in terms of the, t- the top grossing films. It's it's better. I mean, it's not there. It's not there. Women, um, women of color. Uh, still, there's a long way to go in terms of um authorship and ownership and a diversity of storytellers but it's it is getting better and i do think studios are pushing themselves and, and to to hire to hire women to hire different kinds of storytellers to to put women in charge of projects i actually i actually think this is changing substantively which is what is so hopeful and then i also think it's changing in terms of you know the women who drove times up what was so meaningful about that was it was this this coming together and this organizing and this funding to help other women in all industries and and how and how that mobilized into something that that kind of community i think is what's um what's so powerful and what is continuing. Um, And it can't change overnight. I mean, it does take time, but you feel like that was the kick in the pants the industry needed. You know, it's so interesting because I think it was, it was, but I also think um, this had been growing in terms of hiring more female directors for a while. This had been growing and then it just, you know, kicked it, kicked it to a new level. And yet, the Golden Globes were announced. Not mm-hmm. one female director was nominated. No. And that is so aggravating to so many of us. Well, I think it was such an, a banner year for female filmmakers. and um, But I think... I think actually every year has has been a has a banner year. And every year I see lots of female-directed films that I think are um, just as worthy and just as important to hold up. And... Um, I mean, I was very happy that in foreign film, Portrait of Lady on Fire and um, and The Farewell both were acknowledged in foreign film. And but that, come on, and that, no, no, no. I mean that, but that's yeah. that's good. That's good. That's that's important. But certainly, I think acknowledgement of um, the the tremendous work being done this year, and I mean, last year too. It happened last year. I mean, it did happen last year, and it happened actually the year before that. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, you know what the the thing that I, I I keep going to is, but we're still making them, and we're still we still keep making these strides, and they and and it is still happening. So um, and P.S. You're making remarkable yes. movies that yes. are doing really well and really resonating. And P.S. We still don't know about the Academy Awards. No, and so also, I I'm, and I'm holding thing, out hope. The thing that I see is like you know. I see Lulu. I see I see Mari, who directed Farewell, who directed Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I see Melina, who directed Queen and Slim, and that's just a few. This is happening, and I feel like it, it's also, um, you know, it's gathering steam. It's gathering energy. 
I love movies. I love filmmakers. I, I think everyone who's up there deserves to be up there. I just want I want I want these women recognized. I want us all collectively recognized because there's so much good work. Oh, and Lorene Scafaria, who did Hustle. I mean, there's so many. I feel like every time I I hesitate, even I need my list of names just that I can go to. But it just um, and that's a real step forward, know, right? That you actually have a list of names. I have a list of names every year. <laughs> I really do. I have a list of names every year, and. Um, and I think uh, we're just going to keep making, and um, and I think people want to see it. Well, you're such a huge talent, Greta. I'm so Thank happy you. for your Thank success, you. and you're going to be inspiring so many young women through your work. The same mm. with Lena and mm-hmm. all the other mm-hmm. women that mm-hmm. you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So. You're just opening up so many possibilities for them. Because, you know, listen, you're how old? 34? Oh, no, I'm 36. 36, sorry. But, you know, isn't it crazy that a 36-year-old woman Mm. didn't really have anybody Mm. uh, when you were in college to say, oh, look, that could be me? It is interesting. There was a group of them, and and I don't want to downplay because now— now that now I know more, but there was um, I I learned about Jane Campion and right, and then Sofia Coppola happened while I was in in school. But it was just and, sort of at yeah, the beginning. No, it was at the beginning, and um, um, I learned about Lena Vertmuller, who I had the privilege of giving an award to. I mean, Catherine Bigelow, but it was a, so it was a small group, and now it feels like it's getting a much bigger, and that's um, that's good. It's a better band. Well, it sure is, and we're so glad you're in it. Thank you. Thanks, Greta. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Greta as much as I did. And by the way, if you're overwhelmed by the tsunami of information exploding on your iPhone every single day, check out my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call. Go to katiecurric.com to subscribe. And of course, follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, oh, LinkedIn, too. I'm everywhere, people. Until next time and my next question, I'm Katie Couric. Later. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric, Lauren Bright Pacheco, Julie Douglas, and Tyler Klang. Our show producers are Bethann Macaluso and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Dylan Fagan. Associate producers are Emily Pinto and Derek Clements. Editing is by Dylan Fagan, Derek Clements, and Lowell Berlanti. Our researcher is Barbara Keene. For more information on today's episode, go to katiecurric.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at katiecurric. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.